Once you've turned there, if you don't have your own Bible, our ushers do have Bibles available. Raise your hand, they'll bring you a Bible. We'll be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And so if you'd like a copy in that version, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Just raise your hand right now. The ushers will bring you a Bible. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Acts chapter 22. context here in the previous chapter, Paul was attacked in the temple, carried out into the streets, beaten, and the mob had gathered and Paul was then arrested by the authorities there to protect him from the mob. He asked for, for permission to speak to the angry mob that had beaten him and was trying to kill him. And chapter 22 starts with him addressing that mob. The word of God says this, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From then, I... From then I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have heard and seen. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple, I fell into 
I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then, then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. For he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful? For you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought my citizen for citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. May God give us understanding in this portion of scripture that we read and preach through this morning. As you can see, this story continues even into the next chapter. And so each week we will take a portion of this story and speak it from God's word. Let's bow now if you remain standing with me in a time of prayer. And after prayer, our choir will come for special music. And then after the music, the preaching on Acts chapter 22. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for springtime, a time of refreshing. Seasons change, and that's good for us, and we look forward to it. We thank you for all who you've brought here today, who have come to church, have gotten up this morning with their mind on getting here, and they have gotten here. Now we pray that as we fellowship together, as we listen attentively to your word, that you would speak to us today from your word, that your truth would impress on our hearts who you are and who we are to be, that we might seek to glorify Jesus, first of all, by trusting in him, turning from our sin and walking in a new life, life that honors and glorifies him. Bless your people today, Lord. Some um, who are traveling and away, we pray for protection and blessing for them. Those who are here 
We thank you for each one. We ask that you would bless our fellowship and our time together. You open your word to us. Open our eyes to your word and to your truth. And challenge and encourage our hearts in living for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I could say I've spoken at several times and to different types of audiences, even on the street where there is, you don't know what to expect. And sometimes we would say it's a tough audience. But I've never had an audience that wanted to kill me and tried to kill me. The type of audience that Paul was speaking to. I want you to keep in mind he has been attacked by this mob right in the temple. They dragged him out of the temple because they didn't want to profane the temple. Isn't that amazing? As we saw in last chapter, the big question is, what are they accusing Paul of? And why are they attacking him? Well, we get that answered somewhat in this chapter. Paul begins to address the very mob that is trying to kill him. As he stands on the step, about ready to go to the barracks where he's going to be arrested, he's already um, under their control. And the authorities came to take control over Paul because they saw the riot that was going on. And they came and tried to understand what was going on. And as is usual in a riot, it tells us in the previous chapter, some people were saying one thing and another group was saying another. None of us, none of them knew what they were really there about. It was a big, huge confusion. But one thing they knew is that they were angry at Paul. So as Paul stands on the step and he begins to address them, they quiet down. And he begins to speak to them in the Hebrew language. Now, why would Paul choose to do this? We can see he begins to make his defense. And when we look at his defense, we understand why he chose the Hebrew language. But it tells us that Verse 2, when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew, they became even more quiet. He did that for that purpose. It would get their attention, and it would point them to who he was. And he tells them in the next verse, I am a Jew. Paul relates to this angry mob, saying, I am of the same heritage as you. That's an interesting defense. First of all, because it's absolutely true. And you would ask and beg the question, then why are they attacking him? You got to see something. When you have anger like this, there is something more than just logic and reason. In fact, oftentimes when you have these kind of outbursts, logic and reason are thrown out the window. But this is the same thing that happened to Jesus. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 that Jesus came to his own, his own people, 
And it's being specific. The Bible, in John chapter 1, it says Jesus is the creator of all things. Everything made. In fact, it gets so explicit to say there's not a thing made that was made that Jesus didn't make. So he's the creator of all. But not just that he came to mankind whom he created. He came to his own specific group of people that God brought him into this world under that heritage. He came to the Jew, and it says the Jewish people, his own people, rejected him. They would have nothing to do with him. This is happening to Paul now. He comes to his own people, and they wholeheartedly reject him and in fact want to kill him. And you have to ask the question, why? When you see this kind of hatred, there is something going on. Jesus in John chapter 8 called Satan the father of lies. He called him a murderer from the beginning. This violence, this hatred comes directly from the pit of hell. And it is pointed at Paul for the same reason it was pointed at Jesus. To some degree, the same reason it will be pointed at us if we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Because there is a huge spiritual battle going on. You see, today we would love, as a Christian, I would love for people to like me. I would love for Christianity to become popular. I would love to speak to people about Christianity even on, on reason terms or human terms because it makes so much sense. But they, they reject it not because intellectually they can't deal with it. It's because spiritually there is a battle going on. So Paul begins his address. He says, I'm a Jew. His defense is this. I'm a Jew, just like you. I've been brought up in the same heritage. I love my heritage and respect it. And in that heritage, I have learned about God, and God has appointed me to do what I'm doing now. So let's look at his defense. Verse 3, I'm a Jew. He says where he was born. He says where he's educated. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel is a noted um, rabbi of Israel that taught many people. And he, it's like being educated at the highest level, what Paul is saying. I was educated at the highest level by the best and most respected people in our community. The, the accusation being against Paul is that he hates the Jewish people. He has spoken poor, badly about the temple uh, and about uh, a God himself. And this is his defense. I'm a Jew myself. He says, I was educated at the top level. According to the strict manner of the law of the fathers. Let me go back for a moment. Look at verse 1. It says, brothers and fathers. Notice how, how Paul addresses his, 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 his crowd. He relates directly to them. Brothers and fathers. He means that in every true sense of the word. Paul is a true brother. He respects this community as his family. 
because I'm a Jew, educated by the feet of, at the feet of Gamaliel, being zealous for God. That's one thing that's true about Paul before he met Christ and after he met Christ. He was a zealous person, and he was zealous. He had a zeal, a passion for obeying God. The problem was before he met Christ, he was ignorant of God's purpose and God's will. He didn't know. He thought he was doing what was right, and in fact, he wasn't. But he was zealous. He wanted uh, passionately to do what was right and to serve God. It goes to show you that passion alone isn't enough. Passion has to have direction and proper direction. But then proper knowledge and direction alone isn't enough if it's without passion. You're going to follow Christ. You need to know truths about him. You need to have a heart that really wants to serve him above all else. Jesus told those followers, take up your cross and follow me. He said, this is not going to be an easy path. He's saying, you got to be willing to be persecuted even to death to stay on this path with me. So it calls for both knowledge and passion. Paul had them both educated in the highest way, zealous for God. And then he says this in verse 4, I persecuted the way. Now, the term the way is, is that term that re refers to those who follow Christ. We pointed this out before. Perhaps it's, it's taken from um, Jesus saying in John chapter 14, I am the way. Those who follow me are going in the way. They, he is the way, not just a way, but the way, the path to God himself. You know, if you're going somewhere today and you, you have a, a GPS system, a navigation system, you can ask to, to direct it direct you to the destination you want to go, but you can say, hey, I want to take the scenic route, or I want to take the route without any freeways, or without any tollways, or, or I want to take the quickest route. So there's a couple different routes that you can take, but I want to tell you there's one path to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to get to God and have right relationship with him other than Christ. And so those who followed Christ were known by others, not themselves. They, they didn't give themselves this name. The others gave them this name. You are people of the way. The way. Paul says, I persecuted people like that. I hated them and, and wanted to kill them. He says, I persecuted the way or this way to the death. And he goes over and he's sharing his testimony. There's a couple places where Paul shares his testimony. Or here's one place where he shares it. Another place later on in Acts he shares it. The first uh, testimony of Paul we get from the, the, the writer of Acts himself. Luke is sharing what had happened to Paul in Acts chapter 9. But it's beautiful to hear Paul's testimony. Because when you listen to it, you get it. You understand not what Paul did. It ain't all about Paul. It's about what God had did, done to Paul. How God impacted Paul's life. Look at it. He says, I was on the way. Verse 6 to Damascus. And he tells why he was going there. He was going there with an intention of arresting people of the way, bringing them back to Jerusalem to be, to be prosecuted and to be, to, to be punished, including up to death. 
And so as he was on his way, on his path, he said, I had an interaction with someone. He says, I didn't know who it was at first. I just heard this voice. I saw a light that blinded me, and I heard this voice, and he repeats what that voice was in verse 7. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We understand from Saul's, Paul's testimony is that when he persecuted people of the way, Jesus himself took it personal. Why are you persecuting me? You see, that's the good, that's the important thing. We need to remember, we said that if you're going to live this life of faith, that there's going to be a hard time. There's, there's times sometimes of trouble, sometimes of, of extreme persecution. But you need to know that in that persecution, Jesus re- directly relates to those who serve him and suffer as a result of serving him. He says, Saul, you are persecuting me. He identifies with his people. That's a great comfort to know. You're not going through this for nothing. You're not going through this without anyone else's knowledge. That's where we get so much discouragement and despair and, and get into the disillusion and, 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 and just, just get into just, just total. Um, when we think that we're all alone and we think nobody cares, Jesus is saying with those who are persecuted for his name, you're not alone, and he's with you, and that he cares. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, those with me heard the voice. They saw the lights, but they didn't understand what the voice was saying. Notice how Paul responded. Verse 8, I answered, who are you, Lord? He immediately took this voice to be an authority from above, at least above him. Who are you? He doesn't know, but he addresses with a respectful title of authority, Lord. And then Jesus identifies. Notice it's Jesus. Jesus where? Of Nazareth. I am Jesus. I am the one, the human being who who was born on this earth, who resided in this country, in Nazareth. Um, But I am way more than just that. I am also Lord. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Paul knew (laughs) who Jesus was. I mean, he knew the history about what had happened. You couldn't be a Jew in Jerusalem, be educated, and not understood something about who this Jesus was, who he was, and what his background was. But now he's having a face-to-face encounter. You see, it's something, it's something different to know about Jesus and then to have a relationship and an encounter with Jesus and to have Jesus speak directly and then draw you to himself. That's what Jesus did. You can see the effect of that in verse 10. He says, what shall I do, Lord? He's humbled now. He's humbled now. He's asking the question. So many times we don't want to ask questions because we don't want to show our vulnerability or something we don't know. But Paul is humbling himself before the Lord. You tell me what to do. Have you done that in your life? 
Have you come before the Lord, had that kind of experience and interaction with him where you're willing to just lay down and say, God, you tell me what to do from here. My life is yours. I'll live it as you direct. All this is in Paul's response because we can see, we can see his life after this. This is a transformation. This, when he woke up that morning, he was not like this, and now he has met Jesus, and he's a totally different person. Before he was saying, I know what to do. I know where to go. I know what needs to be done. Those folks of the way need to be stopped. Now he meets Jesus, and it's a whole different direction. Like, I'm confused now because what I was doing before I thought was right, and now I understand this clearly isn't right. Tell me what to do. If you've come to church, if you come to hear God, then you need to ask that question, what should I do? I want to I caution you too because we, we get this attitude that, hey, God's going to tell me, but he's going to tell me directly. He didn't even tell Paul directly. Think about it. This great giant of a believer, he didn't tell Paul directly. Now, he spoke directly with him to Jesus, but Jesus said, here, I want you to go here, and then I'll tell you what to do. And how did he tell him? Through another man. Through another man. Through another human being. So God would have you come submit yourself and to be a part of his people and his church, and he speaks and directs your path from there. Don't be so obstinate that you aren't hearing that today. It's the way that God works. What shall I do, Paul says? The Lord says, rise, go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you. There's a couple things I want to point out here. When he says all that is appointed, that's a key word in Paul's testimony. Because as he stands before this angry mob, he is saying, look, I used to do what I thought was best, but I am now doing what God has appointed me to do. I didn't make this stuff up. I'm not following my own wisdom or my own logic or my own whim. I am doing what God has appointed me to do. Oh, what confidence we can have in God's appointment. It doesn't mean that we know all and every step and every move. In fact, we don't. You can see that in Paul's testimony. He was trying to take the word out, and God was saying, no, don't go this way. No, don't go this way. He's like, well, where do you? Here, go. There's humility. There's a process. There's a step. But he's been appointed by God to do what he is doing now. He has confidence in that. Jesus tells him, there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And how does God appoint and how does God direct? Verse 12, and one Ananias he uses to direct Paul. This word appointment comes up again in verse 14. It says, he's Paul is talking about Ananias. He said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. Emphasizing that Paul, <laughs> you know, you talk about an appointment. I got an appointment. God has set an appointment for me. God has set some appointments for you too. And you can't miss them. In fact, you won't miss them. 
<laughs> one of them is for death. One of them is for life. One is for every other thing and event in your life. God has set appointments. He's appointed Paul to do some things. Ananias recognizes that and says, the God of our fathers appointed you. This, is a, uh, uh, this, this has but much meaning to the group that Paul is talking to because he's saying again, I didn't make this up. I didn't come up with this myself. The God of our fathers. And he uses the quote from Ananias, who was a respected man as well. Say, Ananias said the God of our fathers would appoint me. And in fact, did appoint him to do what? To know his will and to see the righteous one. Now, that word righteous one is a direct reference to Jesus. That's who Paul's eyes were open to. Even though he was blinded physically, he could see and hear Jesus talking to him. He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus. And now Ananias says, this one Jesus is the righteous one. There's a connection there in this text to see, help us to see who this Jesus is and who it is that was directing Paul's way. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He's called Lord by Paul when he first says, what should I do, Lord? And he said, the Lord said to me in verse 10, and now Ananias says that this is the righteous one. He says, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. Again, that's a reference not to God the Father, but to Jesus. That's who Paul heard from. And he gives Paul his appointment. Verse 15, you will be a witness. You'll be a witness. Isn't that the whole that's the whole outline of Acts. You are to be witnesses to me. He says, Paul, I'm anointing you, appointing you to be a witness. So what is a witness? It's just say what you saw. That's all. If you're a witness, you stand in court, you promise to give an honest, a, a true statement, and just tell us what you saw. My wife likes watching Judge Judy, and every once in a while I'll watch it too. And it's fun, something funny about Judge Judy. When she has people, she asks them a question, and they give an answer. And as soon as they start looking up, she says, no, don't, don't look up. Just answer the question. You ain't got to think about what the truth is. Just tell it. That's what she's saying. When you start thinking, she, Judge Judy's getting nervous that you're making up something. She don't want you making up nothing. Just tell what happened. Clear. Don't try to mince words. Don't try to make it sound any different than it is. Just share the truth. That's what a witness is. He's been called to be a witness. And right now, at this very moment, addressing a mob that wanted to kill him, Paul is just telling what happened. I'm amazed that he has this kind of demeanor. These folks not just wanted to kill him, they tried to kill him. The only thing stopping them was the police came and arrested Paul to keep them from killing him. But now he wants to speak to them. Wow. <laughs> I get nervous preaching at church on Sunday. Paul is speaking to a mob that wants to kill him. And he just says, I just want to share what God happened in my life. I want to tell you what happened to me. My encounter that I had with this one Jesus. And that's what Paul does. So he shares. 
And I, Ananias said, you'll be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. That's what a witness is. Are you willing to be a witness for Jesus? Are you willing to open your mouth about what he has done for you? Now, if he hasn't done anything for you, you can shut your mouth. In fact, you got nothing to say. But if he has, you do. And you can't keep silent. I like what Jeremiah says. His word is like fire shut up in my bones and I can't keep it still. He's saying, I need to speak to people about what God has done for me. You see, there's something that, that they cannot refute. It's what God has done in your personal life. Now, they, they might try to reanalyze it and say what it is, something different, but they can't challenge the facts. What has God done in your life? God wants you to speak. God gives you opportunities to speak. Now, if you got nothing to say, ask him for something to say. In other words, ask him to change your life. Ask him to be real in your life. And then you have something to say. By the way, it ain't all about you. So don't think you got to have some exciting, thrilling testimony where, you know, news reporters from all over going to start coming and clamoring at your door. And it just, just take advantage of the opportunities God has. It might be a simple uh, opportunity on a bus sitting next to uh, a little old lady that you get to share in that moment. I remember as a, in my job as an engineer, I had to travel around the state, and I said, God, whenever you give me an opportunity, because we would drive a lot, and I had a partner there, and I said, when I get him alone, and we're driving, and we're talking about the brewers and the bucks and the packers and Summerfest and everything else, I am going to take opportunity as you direct to share my testimony. And as I did that, you know, there's nothing great happened. I, I didn't see him, you know, slam on the brakes and get in the middle of the highway and bow down and worship God and say, oh, because I heard your testimony. No, but God directed me to share, and he directs you to share. We're not even told how many people in this group heard, changed, and believed. But God gave Paul the opportunity to share his testimony. That's the work God does. Let him do what he does. You just share. Let him do. Let him bring people to faith. Just be willing to share. So he tells Ananias, tells Paul what his mission is going to be. You're going to be a witness And so Paul was baptized and says he baptized, he says, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. So Paul um, trusted Christ. He showed the evidence of that in the physical way to those around him by being baptized. Paul says, I returned to Jerusalem And you could tell this part was a bit of a surprise to Paul in verse 17. He says, I fell into a trance and I saw him, speaking of Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. So he hears from Jesus again while he's in the temple worshiping. He falls into a trance and Jesus speaks to him and he says, Paul, you better, you better run, man. You better, you better get out of Jerusalem. He's kind of puzzled to hear this. And, and Jesus said to him, they will not accept your testimony about me. That's how we know it's Jesus. And Paul, 
argues. He said, well, well wait a minute, Lord. I, these, these are the same folks know. They see me go from one synagogue to another, sharing this testimony of how I came from persecuting your church, and now I, 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 I'm a follower of you. Certainly, they'll hear this. Certainly, they'll listen to me. So Paul was a little bit um, struck by this. But verse 21, he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. In other words, Jesus confirmed, yeah, Paul, you are not going to be heard every time that you give out this testimony, but I've given you this job to give this testimony out. And in fact, some people are going to reject, but I'm sending you to go. Verse 21 is important because it's the last word that Paul gets to say before this mob. And this is what it is. He said, verse 21, he's, and he said to me, go. He's quoting what Jesus said to him in the temple, right? He said to me, Jesus said to Paul, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, who says the word Gentiles? Jesus. In his directing Paul, appointing him where he's going to go. I'm going to send you far away. You've been rejected. These people are, 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 are going to try to kill you. And so now I'm sending you away, far away, he says, to the Gentiles. Verse 22, up to this word, they listen to him. The word is Gentiles. Up until he said this word, which he had he actually just quoting what Jesus said to him. Up until this word, Gentiles, they were listening. Remember, they were quiet because he started out in the Hebrew language, and it says, who, who is this dude? He's one of us. Listen to him. He makes sense. He's not saying nothing crazy. He's just talking about what God did to him. All up to this time, they were listening intentively until he said, Gentiles. Verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. For he should not be allowed to live. Where did that come from? Does it sound like it's just from the very pit of hell? Yeah, it does. Paul has said nothing to bring this on. He has done nothing to bring this on. God is exposing something. Paul doesn't even say something that's strange for the Jews to hear from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, and I didn't bring it to quote you, but you can go several times. You can see how the the apostles and the New Testament writers used and referred to the Old Testament. The difference between the Old and the New Testament is this, is that in the New Testament, there's an eye-opening experience of God's purpose throughout all the generations. And in fact, there's continuity. Too much times we teach about this discontinuity between the Old and New Testaments, like they, they're two strange, unrelated documents. They show the plan and purpose of God, and it hasn't changed. Here it is, simple. God had planned to redeem a lost people to himself through his son. 
He was going to do that by bringing one in, bringing a savior to the earth through the Jewish people that will be a savior to all people. All the way through the Old Testament, he makes this clear, even with Abraham. He says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to be the, the, father, the, the man of faith, the father of faith. In other words, faith, is you, you're going to start it. I hate to say this this way because people take it the wrong way. Abraham wasn't a Jew. <laughs> Abraham was the father of the Jews. You, you, you know the line, Abraham, Isaac. And Isaac had two sons, two twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, the Jews. I'm only saying this to say that Abraham was the father of the faith of those who would trust in this Savior who is to come of Jew and Gentile. God never intended the Jews to be so... Uh, um, what, what, what is the word? To be so stuck on themselves to think that God's plan began and ended with them because it didn't. It never did. God's word all the way through the Old Testament was, look, I'm going to bring a nation's, nations, plural, to myself. Psalm 67 it tell, tells the story of why God blessed Israel so that the nations, plural, the world would see who God is and come and embrace this God. And the only way to that God is through his son, who happened to be of a Jewish heritage, his son, Jesus. God was using the Jewish nation as, as a means for reaching the whole world. Through his son, Jesus. God made, and when you look at the birth of Jesus and the, the, the announcements about Jesus in the New Testament, you see it breaking out and just becoming clear. He's the savior of the world. He has come to, 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 to save, yes, his people from his sin, but his people is not just his Jewish people, but from all over. Jesus made a splash when he would heal and when he would do a work and, and he chose once to, to heal a Syrophoenician woman who said, would you please come and, and heal? And he said, why should I take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs? Well, who are the dogs? The dogs are the Gentiles. And she said something full of faith. <laughs> she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the kids' table." But he's saying the Gentiles get the leftovers of your grace, and those leftovers are good enough for us. <laughs> she was saying in a funny way, God, I'll just give me what you got, whatever's left over. It, it'd be good enough for me. She was trusting that God was good and wanted to bring salvation, not to just the Jews. He's going to save Jews. Paul himself was a Jew who was saved, but he's going to save Gentiles as well. So this has been his purpose all the way through. It's been clear. Just people have been blinded to it, including the Jews. And now, look at what he says here. When he comes to this word Gentiles, they just explode with anger and hatred. Any man who speaks like this deserves to die. Now, with this being brought out, the tribune 
who's listening to both sides. They, they're listening to Paul speak to this mob, and now they're hearing from the mob, and they're like, what's going on here? Well, I don't see any reason y'all want to kill this man. And they're saying, hey, look, we've been set up in Jerusalem. We know a little bit about Hebrew Jewish culture, but I still don't see nothing where y'all have a right to kill this man. By the way, it's the same thing would be true of Jesus, wouldn't it? Same thing would be true of Jesus. Paul is just being like Jesus. And so after this, they go to shouting and throwing off their clothes and flinging dust all in the air and just acting like idiots. Um, but that's how mobs do it, isn't it? They don't make sense. It's not about rule and order and common sense. Mobs never are about that. And so the tribune is, is trying to figure out what's going on. And, and so they, 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 uh, they decide... It's interesting. Verse 24, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks. That's Paul saying he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Now, that's an interesting statement, right? (laughs) We're going to beat you half to death to find out why they don't like you. That's what they said. Now, Paul, like, hey, wait a minute. I got some sense here. I mean, I've been appointed to suffer and I, I understand that. I get that. But, um, hey, this just, this just ain't right. This don't even sound right. And so he says, um, verse 25, when they stretched him out for the whips, and that means exactly what this says. They tied him up, and they were about to stretch him out so they could beat him to try to get him to tell them why these people hate him so much. Then he says, is it lawful for you to flog a man that's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Both of those facts are absolutely true. He was uncondemned. There had been no trial there. You just had a mob who said, this man needs to be killed. And Paul addresses the mob, and all they say is, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. As soon as he said the word Gentile. And so the tribune is trying to figure out what has happened. And they're trying to make some sense out of this. But I want you to understand, that's not the whole point of the story. The point of the story is God set an occasion for his servant to share his testimony. That's the whole point of the story. God has carved out this occasion so that his word could go out. Do do you get what this? God will use incidences and situations in your life that you don't even understand. Paul don't understand why they're acting. There is no understanding of why these people act this way except this hatred. But God is using this so that his servant can share his testimony about the Lord Jesus. That's the whole point of it. You know, people get mad when, when I do uh, <clears throat> funerals and I tell them, I'm not going to focus on your loved one. I'm going to focus on the gospel. That is a message that everybody who comes to this funeral needs to hear so that when they reach that point, they can have confidence of being with God. That's what's most important. You can share about your uncle, your brother, your father, all that on your own as much as you like. But when I'm preaching, I'm going to preach about Jesus. And they don't like that. And I don't make no apology for that. Because that's what's needed. It's the gospel that is needed. God allows Paul to almost be killed and put to death. And eventually Paul will be put to death 
for the gospel's sake so that the gospel can go out. Now, God is not just trying to punish his people and be cruel to them. What he's saying is there's something more important than even our comfort and our rescue. That is the gospel going out faithfully. God will give you opportunities that may not seem to you like opportunities, but in reality, somebody asks you, hey, man, what's going on? You can tell them what God has done in your life. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Watch as he opens the door for those opportunities. You don't have to make them yourself. Paul did nothing in here to make an opportunity. He was in the temple. He was making a, a, a dedication with some other Jews. Um, he had done nothing wrong, and all of a sudden they crashed the temple, and they arrest him, take him out of the streets, try to beat. They did beat him, try to kill him, and here's this occasion. God's going to use some occasions in your life. Maybe they're unpleasant. He wants you to be faithful in sharing some truth about him. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know exactly what your story is or how he wants you to share that. But the Holy Spirit will tell you. He will speak to you. Secondly, that's, that's the, the point there. But secondly is you may be hearing the testimony of someone who is speaking about Jesus. Have you taken that into consideration? Have you listened to that? Have you come to faith in Jesus? God went through all of this so that you could hear the gospel. You need to respond to God's word. Father, we thank you for your word today. We prepare for communion today, and as we look at this, we're just thankful for the opportunities for being a witness. Pray that you open our eyes to those opportunities. We pray that you would help us take advantage when we do hear your gospel to receive it, to know that you are appointing us to this gospel to be saved, just like you appointed Paul, and then you're appointing us to take the gospel out and speak it to others. So this simple truth, may it stay with us, may it direct our hearts, may it challenge, may it encourage us to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask our leadership team, we have several that are missing today that are traveling or on vacation. And so I'm going to ask Lawrence and Brian if they would come. We're going to bring our table, and we're going to have communion. I want to share a few things with you about communion before we take it. It only takes a few moments, so 